and welcome to Succeed in A&P, the podcast focused on you, the A&P instructor, where we provide teaching tips, motivation, and ultimately create a community of A&P instructors for the success of students everywhere. I'm Valerie Kramer, the marketing manager for A&P here at McGraw-Hill, and we have a very special episode for you today because it's a little different than most of our shows. Number one, we have two guests, and number two, one of them is a student. So, uh, going to be exciting to hear a little bit from the student perspective. So get ready to uh, hear a little bit different ideas coming from this episode. So with no further ado, I'm happy to welcome Krista Rumpolski, an instructor of AMP at Drexel University, along with her student, Colin, a student in her classroom. So welcome, Krista and Colin. I'm so glad to have you on the show. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Hi, Val. Nice to be here. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And first off, let's just get a little bit of background with you, Krista. And I know you've actually been on Succeed in A&P in the past, but could you just quickly share your background and some of the projects that you've worked on? Sure. Um, I've been teaching anatomy, physiology, uh, pathophysiology, and most recently with some additional training now, um, advanced human gross anatomy courses here at Drexel for about seven and a half years. I can't believe it's been that long already. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of projects, uh, I'm a contributing author and digital author on Fox Human Physiology, one of your McGraw-Hill books. And at Drexel, I also do a bit of educational scholarship in um, best practices and ways to help students succeed in anatomy and physiology. I'm also on a few committees for the Human Anatomy and Physiology Society. So I'm bouncing around a little bit of everything at any given time. (laughs) Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. So in general, what would you say your teaching philosophy is and how do you transfer that to your students like Colin? I actually really don't like the term. I've never liked the term teaching philosophy because to me that sort of implies that that's something that's static. I -hmm. think, you know, I would have answered that question differently every single year that I've been teaching. So um, but I, I'd say that the one thing that has held consistent is what's most important to me in my classes. And no matter what I'm teaching, what's most important to me is um, how my students feel when they're in my classrooms. And in terms of how they feel, um, first and foremost, I, I always do everything I can to make sure students feel comfortable in coming to me to ask for help when they need it. And then equally as important that students feel accepted and valued for exactly who they are, um, you know, as students, uh, as individuals in this world, um, any way you want to kind of quantify or or qualify that. Um, In my classrooms, I try to kind of share my unbridled enthusiasm for A&P as much (laughs) as I possibly can and kind of get them to feel the same way. As, as, you know, as, as much as that's possible anyway. And um, in class, I try to plan activities that are engaging, like group activities and worksheets or games and, and things like that. Um, you know, but ultimately, none of that means that, like, I go easy on, on students. And mm-hmm. a conversation I, I feel like I've been having a lot more frequently, whether on Twitter or in the A&P community, is the idea that being super supportive to students or being really fun means that doesn't mean that you're going easy on them. Um, you know, your courses can still be challenging and rigorous, but make students feel really excited and happy kind of at the same time. But 
Colin could probably tell you more about that than, than, than I could. That's at least what I hope is coming across in my classes. <laughs> yes. Well, I know passion is always contagious. So I'm sure that, Colin, you feel that. And it's fun to have a great instructor, right? One that listens. Yeah, definitely. It's really nice having like a relatable, fun professor. I feel like there's nothing worse, nothing worse than sitting in like a two-hour lecture and you're falling asleep because the professor is just talking and talking and talking. Um, so mm-hmm. a lot of things that Dr. R does do, like those little games that kind of break up those two-hour lectures are really helpful. Um, just her energy in general, you can tell that she's so excited about her classes. And I think that really transfers to a lot of her students. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of people kind of really get engaged in the field of anatomy and physiology because of her classes. Yes. Well, how about you, Colin? How, tell us about your major and what you've enjoyed so far in school and your goals after graduation and why you're in the AMP class and what you've um, gotten out of it so far. Um, I'm a freshman nursing major here at Drexel. I'm on our five-year program, so I'm here for a little longer than most nursing majors. Um, mm-hmm. I've been here about six months so far. I've honestly loved my entire experience here at Drexel. Um, I'm from a super small town, so I love being in the city. Um, all of our professors are really great. They're super nice and friendly. Um, they're really approachable, which I love. I was super nervous coming to like a big university. I was scared I wasn't gonna like be able to talk to any of my professors. Um, so that's definitely not the case. Um, yeah, we're here right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. And then after graduation, I'm kind of hoping to uh, go on to be a nurse practitioner and hopefully work in pediatrics because I like working with kids. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, well, and it's so exciting for us in the education world to see engagement from students like you. And you're the one who, in the end, is going to be making the world a better place. And it's it's just fun to see all the work that we do as educators and um, in the education industry here is that, you know, seeing it actually come full circle. So what do you love most about A&P and what helps you learn the material? Because there's a lot of it. Yeah. Um, I think the course of anatomy and physiology is just really interesting itself. It basically explains, like, explains everything about the human body. So it tells you, like, why the body does certain things, how it does different things. Um, So I think that's really fascinating. Um, But with explaining everything that the human body does, there's a ton of material. Um, So I think it's really easy to get overwhelmed with that. Um, Mm -hmm. I found certain ways that helped me, but I think overall every student and every person that is learning it is different. So finding what does work for you is really important. Um, I found that like setting myself to a certain schedule and making sure that I follow that schedule each week keeps me on track. Um, As well as different videos, I found out that I'm a pretty visual learner Um, So looking up random YouTube videos, um, seeing other professors explain things. Sometimes I just need three different people to explain something three different ways, and that'll help (laughs) me understand it in the long run. Yeah, that's great. You're right. You you mentioned overwhelming, and you're right. There's there's over 12,000 terms in in A&P that we try to squeeze into a year's time, and uh, so it, it can get very overwhelming. Are there any digital tools? You mentioned YouTube videos. Are there any other uh, digital tools that you're using? I know Dr. R has used some some different of McGraw-Hill's tools, including Connect. Are there any that are some of your personal favorites or things that have really helped you in a specific way? 
Um, I really think that the entire suite of McGraw-Hill uh, services really works together well. I think they all each have their really good strengths. Um, I've found that using a system starting with like SmartBook, kind of introducing myself to information because it does filter out all of that extra information um, that you don't really need when you're first learning about it. Um, it's really nice. It filters everything out. And then it asks you questions while you're reading the textbook, which is really nice because you don't have to worry about reading an entire paragraph and then not understanding what you just read. It keeps you engaged while you're reading, which I really like. Um, Dr. R actually uses Connect for a lot of our quizzes, um, so that's really nice. I found that going from SmartBook to Connect is really helpful. Um, each of them kind of use the same material from the textbook, so it kind of draws a string to that. Um, and then APR, I feel like, is a really nice cherry on top. Um, it really helps you with a higher level of thinking about things. Um, it's great for preparing for lab. We use it a ton. Um, I love that it can quiz you on different things. Um, it's really hard to get lab time, especially as a freshman. So having something just on your computer that you can take out and use is really helpful, I think. Yes. Oh, and isn't it cool? I, APR is my personal favorite because I love that you can see the whole cadaver and what it's actually going to look like. I mean, for you, who are, you might be in an in a ER one day and you're not going to see the plastic model there, right? Mm -hmm. Right. We were just talking mm -hmm. about this because, um, like I said, like Colin said, we use, um, I, I assign APR assignments to help them prepare for their laboratory experiences. And our Drexel undergraduates um, are extremely lucky in that they have exposure to a human anatomy lab as an undergrad. And, and very few programs around the country do. Um, mm -hmm. you know, they use APR to prepare for their real life experiences. But as Colin was just saying, like, you know, we've got professional dissection photos in APR and, you know, we go into the human anatomy lab and it's like, why doesn't it look that perfect? You know, <laughs> so they're getting um, a lot of anatomical variation as a result of that. But without that, they wouldn't even begin to know what something should look like. So it's been really helpful. Yes, that's right. I sure wish I had those digital tools when I was in school. <laughs> Is there any advice? <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. I said I had a chalkboard, and you know, that was yeah. <laughs> I know, darn it. We did, we had to wait in line to register for classes. I remember. <laughs> Two, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Colin, do you have any advice to other students who um, might be studying um, or using some of these digital tools, or maybe they're not using them? Is there any advice that you would give to them to help them out? Um, well, for anyone who's not using them, I highly recommend you do use them. <laughs> um, I found that really helpful. Um, it's a good step in the right direction. Um, I think the best advice I could give is finding a way to use the tools that works for you. Like I said, I found that using SmartBook first, then doing a Connect quiz, and then using APR works for me because it kind of builds in um, like a level. Um, so you're not just jumping yourself right into a virtual dissection. Um, but like I said before, I think for each student, it's really different. So once a student does figure out what works for them, there are different learning styles. I think they can use each of the tools to kind of help them in the best way that they can. Mm-hmm. That's great. So how about advice that you might have for other instructors out there? Um, I'm not sure if all other instructors do actually assign like SmartBook um, or Connect assignments. Um, but I have found that it's really helpful. Um, here at Drexel, most of our SmartBook assignments are due before our lectures, um, so that's really nice. It kind of forces students to um, actually do a little bit of research before they come to lecture. So when you do 
um, end up sitting in that two-hour lecture. You're not hearing all of that information for the first time. Um, as you're reading, you can kind of formulate questions that you're not really sure of. Um, so you can ask those in lecture instead of waiting until after lecture and then having to deal with um, email, finding a way to um, find the professor and ask them that question. Um, so I think that assigning different things, as much as students don't like assignments, we all have a ton of work to do. Um, I do think assigning it does give us a little motivation to actually do it because with all of the work that students do have nowadays, um, a lot of times things will fall to the wayside if they're not required by a professor. So Yeah. Mm -hmm. What I what I found, Valerie, these tools, because I had, um, you know, when, especially when SmartBook was released, I was like, oh, this is going to be the thing that, like, blows open the whole disconnect, right? <laughs> but what I still found is that any tool is still only as good as the carpenter in, in terms of how much it's used. So if students are still just, like, mindlessly clicking through SmartBook to get the right answers rather than sitting and thinking, oh, I, I didn't know that, right? And, and connecting the mm -hmm. metacognitive piece of, you know, I, I don't know this, I really know it, and then consistently going back to it as it adapts to them, which, you know, again, they, they forget that, that they can go back and get different questions, like the better that they do. Um, if, if they're just doing it to complete and get through the assignment, they, you know, it's not going to be useful to them. So it's, it's taking ownership of the things that are available to you, you know, whether you're a freshman or, you know, kind of it, you know, I still have to take exams and things like that on various things as I learn, and it's so mm -hmm. easy to just fall into that, oh, click and get it done mentality, mm -hmm. you know, no matter how old you are or how, mu how much you've already learned. So it's still kind of driving home. This will only help you if you use it appropriately. Um, as an instructor, I really, Colin mentioned that they're assigned in advance. Uh, before every class period then, I would look at um, the kind of whole report for the whole class and look at which learning outcomes I can see which learning outcomes you all really struggled with okay. on the back end. So then I would know going into class, this is something I need to spend a little extra time trying to explain or give a little bit more detail, mm -hmm. you know, in class. So it helped me see, you know, assuming students all used it correctly, <laughs> right? It helped me see where the, where the sticking, the muddiest points were in, in student understanding. And, and otherwise, how would we ever know that unless the whole class was, you know, being, was, asking for help. We would never know. Right. Well, and you said you made it, make it really comfortable for your students to come talk to your instructors and students like Colin are, but not all students will actually take the time or feel, you know, go and talk to the instructors. So yeah. it is a way that you can tell without having that interaction. Right. Right. Or even to know to tell which student to come visit you and right. we need to talk kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so our, um, I know you mentioned doing um, some group, or you mentioned doing some fun things in the classroom, which I guess might fall under active learning. Yeah. What are kind of activities that you do? And Colin, you could chime in on um, what kind of fun things happen in, in your classroom to keep your attention and make it more fun. You want to tell them about Heads Up? Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I, was it before our final or our midterm? midterm? midterm. So for our midterm, Dr. R um, created this game similar to um, the Heads Up game. It's on the iPhone. Um, and oh yeah, stick uh, index card on your forehead, um, and you're in a group of people, and it's your group's job to kind of describe things, explain things to the person with the index card on their head. Um, what is on their head? So using all of those descriptions, the person with the index card kind of 
have to formulate all of that and then hopefully tell their group, okay, this is what is on my head. Um, so things like that that you wouldn't even think to do um, were really fun. And even now looking back on it, it was really funny. Yeah, the other thing they had to do then, the harder part was um, the person with the index card on their head has to then ask questions of the rest of the group to try to figure out what's on their head, which is the slightly harder version of the game. Um, uh -huh. so but what my goal of that, besides just in, you know shaking things up and having a lot of fun, is if you can't even come up with a question to ask, you don't know the material. Mm -hmm. if, you're, if your classmates can't come up with questions or you can't answer them, you don't know the material. So without, it's so important to put your, as a student, to put yourself in that vulnerable position of not having your book or resources to fall back on, just like you do during your exams, to really know what you, where, where you actually stand with your understanding in the course. So like putting, you know, really putting yourself in that position of having to find out whether or not you really are ready or not is the most important thing students can do, you know, for their higher stakes assessments. But it's something we don't like to do because it's uncomfortable and we might find out, oh boy, I don't really, I'm not prepared for this and it's next week. But, you know, it's not going to get better by ignoring it, like, like any medical condition or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, great relevancy there. Yeah. Well, that's, that's fun. Well, is there any, um, either one of you or both of you, if there's one thing that you'd like to share with instructors and students what would that be? And Colin, maybe from your perspective, what would you want instructors to know? Um, for me, I think uh, it's important for instructors to keep their students engaged. Um, I think that's one of the things that Dr. R does really well. I found that she's a really great professor in front of 250 people. She can keep all of them engaged. And then <laughs> today in lab, there was only like 30 people and we were all still pretty engaged. Um, so I think making sure that students are paying attention, staying engaged, and just showing that you care both about your students and about the subject that they're learning about, um, because I think that will end up rubbing off on your students. Um, I know it's super difficult if you have a ton of students to get to know all of them, um, but I do think keeping lines of communication open, if a student does have a question, um, making sure that they don't feel uncomfortable to ask you, um, I just think that helps the student themselves, and then it helps the professor think, oh, well, if this one student had that question, maybe I didn't cover that enough for the entire class. Um, so in a class of 250 people, if one person came up and asked Dr. R a question, it's most likely that there was at least another person in those 250 people that had the exact same question. Yeah, great point. Yeah, I think um, what I was going to say, he kind of Colin kind of took the words out of my mouth in terms of what I was going to say um, to instructors in terms of I have found that like we kind of it's so easy as instructors to assume that if students aren't asking questions they either don't need help or they don't care I have found consistently no matter how you know welcoming I am and no matter how many times I say you can come talk to me they're still afraid to bother us you know, Colin mentioned coming to college, he expected there to be this like major gap or like this wall between like professors are up there and out there and over there, not in the classroom with us like they are in high school. So like on the first day of class, I, I, I do this big presentation about like how to succeed in A&P. And on the last slide, you know, I, I reemphasize like, I don't care if I have a thousand students come talk to me. And I had the whole class 
what do they have the whole class say in unison? Repeat, you're, you're never, never bothering me. <laughs> <laughs> so many times throughout the quarter, like I got everyone to be able to say that right away. And even then, when I would talk to students later on, I would hear, you're so busy. I know you have a lot on your plate. Like, I don't want to bother you. So even when you get the entire 250 people to say, you are never bothering me, they're still <laughs> so kind and so sensitive that they still want to prioritize your time over their own health sometimes, you know? And I think we have to realize that and look at students that way rather than as unmotivated or, or lazy or not caring. Like they do so much. No one wants to fail. Like no one wants to not succeed. So you have to think, what are the many, many ways or things that might be getting in the way of them asking for help, right? And it's mm -hmm. almost never apathy. It, it's almost never apathy. Um, so what I was going to say in terms of, you know, what I would say to instructors is, you know, first and foremost, take the extra time to continue to emphasize to students, no matter how repetitive it seems, that they can ask you for help and never apologize, you know, for bothering you, quote unquote. Um, mm -hmm. but I'm also, you know, going to say that you can't ever tell anything about a student from a grade they get, whether that's a low grade or even a high grade, because it's easy to think, oh, students are happy if they're getting high grades. I've gotten feedback from students that get consistently get A's that, you know, they're just bored in their courses or they're not challenged enough and they're not getting enough out of it. So we want to hit that sweet spot where students are, are meeting their goals, but that they're really challenged so that when they do succeed, it feels so rewarding. You know, so like yeah. you can't assume anything in either direction where students' grades are. Um, and if, and if you don't know your students and don't ask and get to know them, it's, it's so easy to just make those easy assumptions. Mm -hmm. Then they become just a number instead of an actual student, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, that's such great insight. And um, I really hope that all of our listeners are getting something out of this, too, and um, knowing that um, it has worked for you, that it could work for them, too. So thank you both so much for sharing your perspectives. And do you have anything else to add as we depart? I know this is really great information. Um, did you have anything else we didn't get to, Colin? Not really. I don't think so. Um, I was going to add a little bit about, um, you know, I know you'd wanted me to talk about how I cover lots of, like, all the stuff in the A&P course, and I know that's... Yes, a, yes. That's, and it ties into studying as well, um, but I know that's a constant topic, and I'll tell you, being on the, um, being in the, on the, you know, HAPS listservs, the Human Anatomy and Physiology Society, which I, I doubt any listener doesn't, isn't aware of or a member of, mm -hmm. um, it's a constant debate over what's important to cover and what's not important to cover. And oftentimes it's the things we like that are the important things to cover. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, that's changed for me every year. And, you know, just to, I'm one of three people that teach in the A&P curriculum. So like, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it's not like I have the whole say over the whole curriculum, but we do... Um, follow the HAPS learning outcomes very closely so that we at least have some, you know, at least have the gold standard of um, guide, guidance to go from, from what we present in our classrooms. But mm -hmm. from there, you know, you don't have to cover everything in lecture by any means. We know that. Their book is there for all of the information and it's an excellent resource. So in class, I try to filter down to the big picture and um, application level concepts and help students see how to tie it all together 
and ultimately why they should care. You know, why is it relevant that, you know, there's collagen fibers in your connective tissue? Well, there, you know, I talk to them about scurvy and vitamin C deficiency. Um, I talk to students about Marfan syndrome with um, when there's the lack of elastic fibers from a gene defect. So mm-hmm. get, seeing why this is important for them in like some of the really mundane topics, you know, kind of encourages you to actually want to learn it a little bit more and, and put it all together. Um, and then other things is take as full advantage of if something's being covered very well in lab, you don't have to cover it in lecture. You know, I did very little in lecture on like bones and the skeleton because why walk them through a PowerPoint pointing at things when I can hand them a bone in a class and say, okay, identify these surface features. So for lecture, we talk more about joints and movements and bone growth and formation and things like that, rather than just explaining something that a picture could show them. So, but it's an organic process. It ultimately, I always adjust based on the student experience. So like every year, my classes change. My presentations are different. The in-class experiences are different based on what I'm seeing, um, how I'm seeing students respond to and progress through the material. Great. Yes, that's a great insight too. And I bet that's very motivating for you, Colin, knowing that when you hear that relevancy and that it's actually going to happen in your career, it makes it a little bit more motivating to study. Exactly. And I think it's helpful to kind of link something like that to what you're learning. Um, Instead of just saying, this is what happens, showing something. um, I find that it's definitely easier to remember something after there's been some crazy picture of a person that has been affected by a disease like that. You can kind of associate like, oh, we learned about that with this picture. Um, So that's really helpful. Yeah, today in lab, um, one of Colin's fellow students has... um, type 1 diabetes mellitus, and we were learning about blood glucose regulation in lab and working with some endocrine data on blood glucose regulation. So, like, that student got to talk about, you know, his experience and actually what it feels like when he was in ketoacidosis and losing weight when he got diagnosed and and all of that. And, you know, students were really enjoying actually hearing what they were reading on the page in a real person's experience. So. Oh, yes. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you both again so much for being in he- being here, and um, it's just so exciting to hear from one of our students and for sharing your experiences and advice. And Krista, thanks for the influence that you've had on Colin and all of your students. What a great inspiration to carry forward. It's, it's a privilege. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> all right. So, for all you listeners, if you liked this episode, please leave us a review. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher for more A&P inspiration.